What's up, everybody? Are you tuning in to the Challenge USA on CBS? Well, tune in to me, Tyson Apostle, as I break down each and every episode with my co-host, Amelia Wedemeyer. I'm also a contestant on the show, which gives you all the insider scoop. Amelia, how stoked are you to do this? Tyson, I'm freaking excited. I cannot wait to sit my butt down every single week to watch the show, then come here and recap it with you on the Ringer Reality TV podcast. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. David, I'm in New York City this week. Spending a few days in the town where you and I came of age or tried to come of age <laughs> somewhat successfully. It's kind of defining coming of age in a very specific way. I think, no, uh, no. <laughs> Less said about that, the better, I think. So what's funny about coming back to New York is, first of all, there's just some basic confusion. Mm-hmm. Me standing on a subway platform being like, wait, what's the difference between an express train and a local train? Oh, God, yeah. What's the strategy here? Which train to take for this particular route? Me walking around. Uh, I was in the West Village yesterday, like the most confusing neighborhood. So I'm having to stare at the my phone to figure out where I'm going, where Bleecker Street is and where Barrow is and all that stuff. I couldn't orient north, south, east, west uh, at the drop of a hat when I lived in New York. I, I, I certainly couldn't do it trying to go back to the West Village now. But here's where I'm going with this. I get my bearings a little bit. And I start watching people on the street. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk to you about the idea of the New York City confident walk. <laughs> where you can really tell who's who, who has lived there the longest, who's just visiting, who's visiting for a while, like with a summer internship, merely by observing the confidence with which they walk down the street. <laughs> okay. You remember this? Because I feel we got there. And at first we were kind of looking around and stumbling around. You got there before I did. So you were a little, you had this before I did. But then all of a sudden, when you bring people in from out of town, they're just amazed at the way that you can navigate the street. Oh, yeah. They're like, you're crossing against the light here? You know, oh, yeah, I always cross against this light. Because <laughs> there's never any traffic here. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm, I'm walking straight into this subway. And I'm going straight through this turnstile and I'm, I'm showing you exactly where to go. And I don't know that there's any better way to determine in about five seconds how long someone has been in a place than whether they are doing the confident walk and how confident their confident walk is. Right. Wait, do you have levels of confidence here or is it just like when you go down the, if you know how to go, if you go straight from the turnstile to like an obscure tunnel in the subway, then clearly you've been there a while. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you another one. This morning, uh, I was looking for coffee and I'm kind of in like the one coffee-less part of Manhattan, unfortunately. So six, 
30 in the morning, I see that a Starbucks is opening a couple of blocks away. And I go to the Starbucks and I'm waiting outside, but there's a sign on the Starbucks that said, we're having some some trouble here opening the store at the appointed time. Like I can see people unloading stuff, but the, the store is not open. <laughs> but people are coming by and they try the handle and the store's locked and then they just walk off quickly. Like they, they have a they have a backup plan. Like <laughs> here's I wanted to get my coffee here. I couldn't get the coffee, but I know exactly where the next book is. How early in the morning is this that Starbucks is not open? It was 630 in the morning. Okay. I was up early. Needed some coffee. (laughs) And anyway, I was totally impressed. I kind of feel like I have LA confident drive going on after having been there five, six years. Mm -hmm. But someday, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I want to get New York confident walk back. Maybe, maybe it'll happen more quickly. Maybe it's like riding a bike. How long have you been there so far? (laughs) 24 hours. Maybe it'll start coming back. I think it might start coming back. Coming up on today's podcast, David, we do a summer listener mailbag. We answer your questions. I always like when a host puts a little extra emphasis on your. Sounds very populist. We answer your questions about Donald Trump's imminent 2024 announcement, the NFL Sunday ticket, moving to a streaming surface, the story that will rock this nation in August, and what's a good corporate name for a sports stadium. All that and more on the Press Box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Hello, media consumers. Brian Curtis, David Shoemaker, producer Erica Cervantes here. Let's jump right into the mailbag, David. This comes from listener Daniel Aguilar. When Donald Trump formally announces his 2024 re-election bid, what's the most common adjective we'll see to describe him? Embattled? Scandal-ridden? Fiery? Or just Republican? Oh my God. I have no idea. I was hoping that he would pitch a better, something that I that I thought was the right answer. Um, well, let's go through those. <laughs> uh, embattled is is not the best for all the reasons we previously discussed on this show. And it's also just really <laughs> imprecise. And it's, uh, you know, we're, we're describing somebody who is, there's certainly many precise things you could say, right? Um, uh, scandal ridden? Scandal ridden seems incredibly, uh, it seems like it diminishes all of the, well, scandals, if that's the way you want to word, all the, all the, all the things he's potentially could be charged with or liable for, Right. Even if he gets off scot-free, inciting a rebellion against the government is not exactly a scandal. The, the, <laughs> the, the accusation of insurrection is not a scandal, right? Uh, fiery, obviously, just seems sort of... I mean, it may be the case because it, it's just the least problematic. I mean, you know, kind of questionable of the few. And battle may actually end up being the closest of those four by default. But it doesn't feel right. Um, the thing about embattled is it usually describes a new status someone mm-hmm. has acquired. And Trump has been embattled for like 40 years now. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think some, I mean, this is this is probably why it behooves him to get out, to get in the field sooner rather than later, right? Because if there were, 
because I think in some in some there, there'll be some quarters that are waiting for something sort of semi-definitive to come out of the January 6th commission before they make the call on what adjective to use. Right? Yeah. No, absolutely. So I if mean, he that's... gets out there now, then it might be fiery or <laughs> You know, <laughs> partially embattled, but not problematic. As fully embattled as if the January 6th committee unveiled everything mm-hmm. it had. Yeah, because then you would have an actual, like, you know, accusation to pin on him. Right now, it just sort of seems like they're circling, but they don't really have a specific, they haven't said, any, they haven't said the thing out loud yet. Yeah, well, um, they have, there's a lot of specific allegations. This is not, we don't have the, the full list of specific allegations. Yeah. Did you read Olivia Nuzzi's new story about Trump? No, I haven't read it yet. I have that on my queue. So good. So good. I feel this show is set up for us to pick on the media once in a while. And I often, whenever I see a story that's described as really good, I go in ready to ready to find a fatal flaw in it or, or you know, the picayune, you know, little thing I can point out. Well, it was pretty good, but it only did this. It should have made a bigger deal out of X or Y. She writes such really good stories about the Trump administration, now mm-hmm. former Trump administration. And I was thinking about this. There've been a lot of writing about Trump, a lot of really good writing about Trump. What's the list of people that have put together really good reporting about Trump and really good writing sentence to sentence about Trump? That feels like a really small list to me yeah. that she is perhaps at the top of. Yeah, you're right in the sense that the vast majority of people start on one end of the spectrum or the other, and it's just sort of how far they get to the middle, right? And I think she probably started out, she, I mean, her obviously Olivia Nuzzi was super tight end to just very specific quarters of the Trump White House, but sort of, um, but the reporting that she did was really good. I think she be, I think she was always a really good writer. Um, but it was, it's, it's, it's a, it's a really good question. She, the, she may have, she may be at the t- lead, leading the pack. This is from Elia Powers. Uh, some recent stadium name change stories have caught my attention. Steelers fans have protested going from Heinz Field to Accresure Stadium. Accresure? Is that how you say it? Accresure Stadium? Kind of like that. I don't quite know the answer to that. The Lakers had a whole ceremony when the Staples Center became Crypto.com Arena, which got me thinking, is the sweet spot in stadium naming something that is corporate but doesn't sound corporate? Heinz, Staples, Wrigley, etc. Curious of your thoughts on this. Yes. The, the end of the question, the answer is yes. Um, Heinz, Staples. I didn't even know the Staples Center was about Staples, the store. I mean, there's a lot of these corporate names that are like named after something where, especially in our 20s or earlier, we didn't have any interaction with that brand name. And so we didn't know. <laughs> but Staples is a store that we went in a lot. I had no idea. I thought it was named after you know, like the Staples Sisters or something, you know, like whatever. Like I thought it was just somebody with that last name. <laughs> LA Philanthropists, the Staples Sisters. Yeah. Um, it was the Staples Singers. Anyway, the, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think that's it. I, I'm, I have a personal, you know, soft spot in my heart for the sort of like, like the B or C tier brand arena, you know, the Smoothie King Center. The, yeah. The That's Dickies, when it just, it just Dick, Fort Worth's Dickies Arena. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not, the, the Poulon Weed Eater Bowl back in the day. Yeah. You can have a name that's so out there that it becomes kind of awesome. Well, it's not just it's out there. I mean, I don't mean that to be to demean those brands at all. I think that you'll find people that have personal affection for brands like Dickies or like Smoothie King in a way they wouldn't. Uh, so some of these gigantic brands that are all over 
that are that are at the bigger stadiums. Of course, now it's mostly well the things we see commercials for all the time. The people that got the money to blow, right? It's insurance companies and airlines, um, and now tech companies. And I guess if we want to go by the Super Bowl, we'll probably be seeing more than a couple crypto places. You know what? The best one ever is the Great Western Forum. Mm-hmm. Oh wait, that was named after something. I didn't know either. I didn't know either. It sounded just like this is an awesome landmark, the Great Western Forum. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a bank. It says here in the New York Times, the ah. nation's third largest savings bank, which signed a deal that will put its name and even its colors on the forum. This is 1988. Great right, Western Forum. Just a forum. It was now just the forum, now, or the now fabulous the forum. forum. Now the <laughs> yes, now the Kia forum. Not quite the same zing. I'm sure that everybody in the world has pitched this, but like for some of these legendary places that get name changed, isn't there? Shouldn't there be some incredible, like, sentimental value in just leaving the name the same but putting your brand next to it? <laughs> you know, Wrigley Field brought to you, but well, obviously it's branded, but like, you know, something that legendary R- Wrigley Field brought to you by Aetna or Texas whatever. Stadium brought to you by Exxon. Yeah. Yeah. There's some of those like, isn't the Rose Bowl presented by, don't yeah. they, you know, when you have the bowl games, that mm-hmm. really doesn't do the trick. I mean, it's a little better, but yeah, I, 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 I see what you mean there. All right, one more, David, before we uh, break for the overworked Twitter joke here. This is from Matt. If Apple TV Plus does end up getting Sunday ticket, how does that change the Sunday afternoon game if so many more people have access to it? Will it be the tipping point to sports streaming? Matt is uh, working off some comments by Roger Goodell earlier this month. He said, I clearly believe we will be moving to a streaming service with Sunday ticket. I mean, I do think there's a psychological barrier for entry for a lot of people like i you know i'm over at my mom's house a couple times a week trying to explain and and, you know i've gotten to her to the point now where she can she she has just through some hilarious series of follies like three different remote controls for three different streaming televisions you know she's like one's an apple tv one's a fire stick one's just the like the 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 smart TV model. It was really stupid on my part to set her up this way, but she's gotten to the point where she can do everything, but she doesn't have the vocabulary to actually like comprehend the difference between an interface and an app and a, at a channel, the different things the different apps provide Just sort of, she knows where to get the stuff, but not exactly what it is. Now there's a barrier for entry for a lot of America in terms of like, go to this app to get this thing that you're used to getting elsewhere. And even just like certain things, like words like app can be off-putting. <laughs> Wait for Thursday Night Football this year when all of America, uh, yeah. let's say a huge portion of America, perhaps of a certain level of technological sophistication, asks, how do I get the game tonight? Yeah. But, um, you know, and I probably would have been more sympathetic. I mean, more sympathetic than in the not-too-distant past. But all this stuff, so, it's so easy now. You know, I mean, all you have to do is push a thing on your thing and you have access to everything. It's so much easier. <laughs> Wait, your mom doesn't know the terms and you just said push a thing. Well, I was on trying to thing? make it accessible to everybody listening to this, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you, if you just download Apple TV or, I mean, whatever the thing is going to be, you just get it and it's there, you know, I mean, it's the easiest thing in the world. Well, here's the, been the barrier to entry for the Sunday ticket. You have to have direct TV. Yeah. 
before, which is quite a barrier to entry and one that I've been willing to pay for because one, I like, I want to have it. And two, I want to have it so that I can flip with my remote control very easily between games. Mm -hmm. That's like a happy way to spend a Sunday afternoon going through one, two, three, four, five, and watching as much football as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. So, but that's feels like when I say I have direct TV here in 2022, that feels like I said, I went out and bought an Olivetti typewriter. Yeah. Cause it was a cool antique thing I wanted to have. So it going to streaming is just going to be a much lower barrier, no matter what the technological sophistication of people, sports fans who want to seek it out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think to answer the question about how it changes Sunday afternoons, you're still going to see the, the, the NFL scheduling things in a way to really clear out those big national games that start at 425, which they do. We always hear Cousin Sal talking about why aren't there more late games on? Well, mm -hmm. The reason is they want to give Fox and CBS those big looks on Sunday afternoon so that they don't have a lot of competition. Yeah. Now, if DirecTV is more easily available, excuse me, if the Sunday ticket's more easily available, then you could you get some action when it's one of those kind of interesting Sunday afternoon games like the Chiefs versus team you don't care about mm -hmm. or the Cowboys versus team you don't care about. And it's not particularly close and you send people hunting for the Raiders game on Sunday ticket. Yeah. Or the Chargers game that's going on at the same time. Sure. I could see that. But it'll be, I think what'll be particularly interesting though is to see, I mean, right. Fox and CBS have a whole lot of power in this conversation. Obviously, the, the, these sorts of conversations about scheduling get sort of increasingly diluted as the ESPN, sorry, ESPN, as the NFL takes on more and more partners. But it would be interesting if it went to a place like Apple Plus or something, because then there's a really new, loud, loud voice in the room who has a lot of control over things, you know? I mean, if Apple's metrics say, we'd be way better off if we split the games evenly, or if we had a third of the games at, at noon and or at one and the rest of the games are, you know, two thirds were on the afternoon slot. That would be, that could be a real game changer too. I mean, don't, don't think that won't have real, real impact. I want to talk to you about fake newscasts in movies, but first let's do the overworked Twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the press box pod where they are always gratefully received. David, the Open Championship was this weekend, mm -hmm. which we call the Open Championship because a few years ago, we were all shamed out of calling it the British Open. Kind of like the moment where everyone at the same time started pronouncing Kabul the same way. Mm -hmm. We all started saying the Open Championship instead of the British Open. Mm -hmm. Well, this year's Open Championship was won by Australia's very own Cam Smith, who used his putter to crush Rory McIlroy on the back nine. Do you know what Cam Smith looks like? No. So I'm going to take a moment, David, while you Google a picture of Cam Smith. Have you found him? Let me see. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know what? I know Cam. I, didn't, I don't know if I knew him before. I certainly saw him on TV this weekend. It was an extremely overworked Twitter joke to come up with people that Cam Smith reminded you of. <laughs> so here's Charlotte Wilder. You could tell me this is a picture of a guy who won my D3 college's senior week beer pong championship with the trophy someone found at Goodwill, and I'd believe you. Here's our friend Robert Mays. Cameron Smith is every Australian guy you meet in a European hostel that convinces you to stay out drinking until 5 a.m. <laughs> at which point, Kevin Clark, our treasured colleague, came on and said, he looks like the type of guy involved in whatever sport or hobby you like, 
There is not any interest alive who doesn't have a Cam Smith and seeing him thrive is seeing that guy thrive. <laughs> if you thought Cam Smith contains multitudes, congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. All right, David, to the idea of fake newscasts in movies. This is from listener Ratty. Some media outlets have caught flack for allowing their likenesses to be used in movies. MSNBC and Deep Impact, Wolf Blitzer and Mission Impossible. Forgot about that one. Do you think it hurts their credibility or do you prefer when movies just make up fake ones? Can I take a stab at answering this? Yeah, go ahead. Because I recently saw Jurassic Park Dominion. Mm-hmm. And Jurassic Park Dominion opens with a fake, real 50-50 newscast. But it wasn't Wolf Blitzer or Jake Tapper or Rachel Maddow talking about dinosaurs roaming the earth. It was a now this <laughs> newscast that you see on the interwebs. Oh, yeah. With graphics flashing up on the screen as they show archival video. <laughs> Listen to a couple of seconds of... Jurassic Park Dominions, now this newscast. Dinosaurs are in our world. And with every confrontation, we learn more about this frightening new reality. How did we get here? 
It's been three decades since the deadly events at Jurassic Park, and we've yet to find a way for these animals to live safely among us. After the devastating eruption of Isla Nublar's long-dormant volcano, those who survived were transported to the mainland. The voice sounds perfect. <laughs> I, believe, I felt like it was the real thing. I believe the technical term for that is throat clearing. Um, yeah, that was that was quite that, that was quite a move by um, the Jurassic Park or Jurassic World Dominion team. Um, <laughs> I guess it got you a lot of the way there. And then the movie starts and you realize you got a lot further to go before you get to the part where you understand what the point is. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, the, the best thing about the movie was the now this newscast at the beginning. Yeah, it's true. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it, it's, I mean, it's, it, it's certainly a tool. It's certainly a thing you can use. But I think that there's two different things that we're talking about. One is the expository newscast, which is what we just played, which is unlike anything you've ever heard. I guess the closest thing would be some like, you know, a ABC e evening news catching you up on a Western European conflict that or Eastern European conflict that you've not paid any that, that the newscast had not paid any attention to during the 17 years that it had been raging and the, you know, some some, you know, trustworthy British voice is gonna fill you in on everything that's happened since the dawn of time. Like those things do exist, but for the most part, <laughs> that sort of exposition doesn't happen on any newscast. Yes. Morgan um, Freeman does not typically narrate the beginning of a newscast and tell you everything that happened. So there's that sort of practical thing. And then there's the other thing, which is the sort of like I'm going like it's the deliberate move to give real world legitimacy or the sheen of, you know, reality to this thing. And so it's it's important that you know, it's the folks that you were talking about before. We talked about this on the show. Larry King was always available in his in his time. Oh yes, and and of course the fallback is Pat Kiernan from New York One, who is um, not an anchor that's on everybody's you know cable package, but he is he is a legitimate news anchor, and so he evokes that just enough, right? So I mean, it's it's those guys they're there for a reason. This just now occurs to me, but. Wasn't Michael Crichton's whole approach to novel writing to make things seem real by adding these nonfiction style elements like footnotes in his novels mm -hmm. or referring to scientific papers and books, which may or may not actually exist? Yeah. So isn't the now this newscast in Jurassic Park actually the movie 2022 Twitter version of what Michael Crichton was trying to do as far back as the 80s and 90s in book form. I kind of so think so. So what you're saying is they're really paying tribute to him in a reasonable, in, in, a, in a proper way. That's the best I got for you. It really mm. is. Speaking of newscasts that appear to be real, this is from John Spaulding. He asks, at what point is it appropriate for a podcast with a host name, but who rarely appears to still have their name as part of the podcast title? Thinking Rachel Maddow here primarily. <laughs> so if you have the Rachel Maddow podcast, how many times a week should Rachel Maddow be on the Rachel Maddow podcast? It's a great question. I think weirdly with the podcast, if it was the Rachel Maddow show, which she has recently only been on once a week or whatever, that does feel a little bit weird. Rachel Maddow podcast, uh, you know, if, she, if she's executive producing it, it's sort of it's sort of OK. Right. This is radio. We're used to like a number, like a series of voices chiming in with different stories. 
So it can be like Carson and Leno back in the day where it's like, you know, Monday and Friday, you can expect someone else. No, but <laughs> you can't talk about show. TV. It's like if This American Life was called The Ira Glass Show, I don't think we'd be offended by its content. Right? Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know. But anyway, yes, I think that... um it's just, but, you know, it's just like an interim champion or something. I think it's all, everything's always more fun when you like strip the title, literally strip the title in this case from the show. You have, your, your titular host has not been on enough, and now we have to now have a some sort of public reckoning. That's I mean, I'm I'm all about public reckonings. Not to bring everything back to '80s and '90s thriller novels, but is this like what happened when Tom Clancy stopped writing books, and there would be books that were titled Tom Clancy's? Op Center, and that would be written by somebody else. <laughs> Our cable news host can have the Rachel Maddow's podcast as hosted by. But don't you have? Doesn't there have to be the implication that like someone is performing as Rachel Maddow? If that's, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of a larger branding, attracting like-minded people. I like uh, Tom Clancy novels. I like this guy who's kind of like Tom Clancy. Yeah, same thing yeah. for Rachel Maddow. Uh, this is from Josh Coyne, David. It's uncharacteristically hot here in the UK, Josh writes. What are some do's and don'ts of weather coverage? Wow. Just coverage? Yeah, and let's take out severe said, weather. So we're not asking two Texans how to deal with 100-degree days. No, we're, we're, not, ta- we're, we're not asking some tips and tricks on how to keep cool this summer. We're saying you have the really on-the-nose local news coverage of it's hot out here. What's the best way to handle that? Hmm. I'm much more prepared for the other question. <laughs> well, I can tell you that uh, listener defund Aston Martin F1 team sends along a shot from Sky News. It features a reporter holding a thermometer in her hand. <laughs> like, hey, look what the thermometer is showing. And by the way, it's a giant thermometer. That's great. Kind of like a golf check is to an actual check. And then there's a split screen, and in the other side of the split screen, it's a live shot of the sun. <laughs> I am not making this up. So we are seeing the sun in real time. Is that the way to handle a heat story? Yeah, I mean, I think frankly, I would be more compel. It'd be more compelling if the anchor was just like visibly sweating. You know, I mean, the the, the answer to the first question that wasn't actually asked: How do you deal with this sort of insane heat? Is this is something that if you're like me, you knew at one point and you went away from in your 20s and 30s and rediscovered the answer to at some point in adulthood, which is just, you gotta, I mean, you just wear short, give yourself over the weather. You gotta wear flip-flops and shorts and t-shirts or tank tops or whatever. Don't even think twice about it, right? I mean, you can't, don't don't worry about how you're gonna look or what people are gonna think of you at the bank or whatever. <laughs> at the bank. I wore a lot of jeans on like 98 degree gross. You were. You Brooklyn were very days. committed to that look. It wasn't just me. I mean, it, it was it was like I didn't really have any shorts, you know. Was, uh, but but um but I think that that would be worth I mean, I think that's worthwhile for the newscasters too. There are also those days when I mean people are going to say, "Well, if you have a job, you can't do that." I, we had, we had off I had an office job my last job before the ringer started up and when it was like over 95 degrees, they would sit out of warning. They were like, wear whatever the hell you want to wear to work today. There's corporate wide, you know, company wide. Um, I think newscast should be that way too. When it's like, when you're reporting on hot weather, get out there and you're like straw hat and your tank top and just be like, this is miserable, right? Just to be <laughs> kind of be surrounded by sweaty people. 
This is from Chad Orzel, David. August is famously a kind of fallow period for media generally. Congress in recess, baseball doesn't matter yet, football hasn't started, etc. Which often means something totally stupid becomes a big story by default. Mm. Care to hazard a guess as to what might be this year's? No, I heard Bill talking. I mean, this wasn't the first time that I've heard Ringer folks talking about this, but maybe the first time on on a podcast about how this is, you know, th- this quiet period is when the World Cup should be happening if they had scheduled it correctly. And then I saw today someone tweeted, and forgive me, I don't know who, that this is the, the great failure of the NBA is that the finals should be happening right now. But they mm-hmm. decided not to do it that way. But I love how everyone's trying to, like, fix the quiet period. Literally the only time that anything's ever quiet the only time that <laughs> most of our coworkers get to go on vacation with, you know, something something resembling a real vacation um, or just take some time off. Uh, I'm not sure that it's that big of a deal that there's not a ton going on right now. Um, it's a product of our Twitter adult age that we don't even want two weeks in August to not contain content. Mm-hmm. But what's going to be the content? I mean, how could you predict that? Um I mean, it's not stupid. Kevin Durant's got the ability to fill the whole thing up. There's some there's some NBA stuff that could happen. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly, there's some looks like there's some baseball contract negotiations that could take up a lot more oxygen than they might otherwise take up. Um, and you know, we got a potential presidential campaign, you know, that could be announced. I think there's a lot of stuff that could come out of the Donald Trump sphere. Um, that could probably take up, but I don't know if any of that's like shocking. I don't know. Could you really predict something to be a surprise? I don't know. There's so much stupid that it's it's hard to think of something even stupider than what we deal with week to week that would actually. And and by the way, to your point about like, you know, all the us wanting to insert events in August, doesn't it feel like it's been a crazy news summer mm-hmm. from the live golf stuff? Maybe I'm just listening to too much sports radio and every sports radio show starts with somebody going huge show today but it does feel like it's honestly kind of been a huge show summer yeah between the nba between hey even some baseball stuff between kevin durant i don't know so let's let's hope there are no additional stupid stories we'll just we'll just stay with the stupid stories we have right now Mm -hmm. it's time for david shoemaker guesses a strain pun headline yeah Last Tuesday's very strained headline about Baker Mayfield going to the Panthers was needed help. Needed help. Today's headline comes from David Reed. It's from the Times of London. The story, David, is that Bob Dylan has banned mobile devices, otherwise known as phones, from his UK concert tour. That's all you get. You can guess we're probably punning on Bob Dylan lyrics here. What was the Times of London strain pun headline? Um, Bob Dylan lyrics. Uh, is this like a? Is it a? Is it? Is it? Am I? T- is it something from like a Rolling Stone where I'm putting in phone? Is it? Mm-hmm. How, how does it? Yeah, how does it? You're all over it. How does it feel to be without your phone? How does it that, feel? That's to be- it, my man. How really? does it feel? To be without a phone. That's great. See, this is one of those cases where David's like, I don't have any idea. I don't know where to start. Oh, wait, here's the exact answer. (laughs) 
Well, no, I mean, it's, it's felt, I wasn't that confident because it seems like it's way too long for even the strained pun headline, but that's great. It's good work. He is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Production Magic by Erica Cervantes. Coming up on Wednesday, David, I used my time here in New York City to go down to the WFAN studios this morning. And the man who had just finished a four-hour shift of sports radio was Boomer Esiason. Wow. We sat in his office there, uh, taped a podcast that's going to go up Wednesday about sports radio and many, many other things. I will direct you to one moment in Boomer's career. This is 2007. I think here at The Ringer, we're contractually obligated to call these sliding doors moments. Mm -hmm. 2007, Don Imus lights himself on fire and loses his job as the morning guy on WFAN. Boomer Esiason takes over that job or half of that job and still has it 15 years later. So that's big. But what I also realized is that Imus vacated his morning shift on MSNBC. And you know who got that job in 2007? Joe Hmm. Scarborough, Mm -hmm. who was kind of a questing cable news talking head guy at that point. And he still has that job 15 years later. So how about that for media sliding doors? Weird. To be discussed, maybe, on the anniversary. We're back Monday with more Lukewarm Takes about the media. See you then, David. See you later, Brian. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.